How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. What's going on, Z-Pack? It's your boy ZDogMD. Okay, today's episode is really, really special because number one, it is eligible for continuing education credits if you're a Facebook supporter or a Patreon supporter at the $5 or more level. And instructions for those supporters will be in their ex- their supporter-only feeds. Now, that being said, today's episode is super duper special. And the reason is we have brought back Dr. Blair Duddy. He is a practicing pediatrician here in Las Vegas, one of our favorite doctors around because he is actually walking the walk and not just talking the talk. He's not in an ivory tower somewhere. He's seeing kids every single day and he is passionate. You may remember uh, the clip we did with him called Curse of the Gifted, talking about the challenges and opportunities of taking care of highly intelligent gifted children and how that can be just as hard as taking care of children with other special needs. Dr. Duddy is someone that we would trust with our children's lives, and Tom actually does. He's Tom's pediatrician for Tom's newborn, Kennedy, and he is just an amazing communicator, scientist, and one of the most caring people that I have ever met. Now, one of the things he's super passionate about is home births. This is a very controversial area. It's something where, you know, the natural... uh, Medicine people will say, well, this is the best way to deliver a baby, and it's all about the experience and avoiding medicalization and C-sections and things like that. But what Dr. Duddy uh, talks about in this episode are the serious downsides of home birth. Um, And it's very important because he sees the complications here in Nevada where he practices. Now, one quick clarification on this episode. When Dr. Duddy talks about certified professional midwives, the qualifications and regulations around them vary from state to state. He's talking in specific about the regulatory environment in Nevada, which is very, very minimal for those practitioners as opposed to certified nurse midwives or obstetricians. So we would encourage you, if you're a certified uh, professional midwife or direct entry midwife, leave in the comments what your training level is. And if it's different in your state, say California, somewhere else, there are about 28 states that license these practitioners. So with that clarification, Dr. Blair Duddy is on the show. Dr. Duddy, welcome back, son. Thank you so much. So I really appreciate the introduction. Um, One of the things we talked about after I did the gifted piece is, you know, my professional life is really one-on-one with patients in the office. And so it was really neat to reach out to people outside of the one-on-one 
Um, it's funny, like, like doctors came up to me when I was traveling doing talks and they're like, you know that thing you did with that Dr. Duddy guy? That was so helpful because now I have a way of looking at my patients. And I think that's what we're trying to do too on right. the show is amplify the voice of people who are actually connecting on these issues correctly with patients and with other healthcare professionals. So I'm here because it's a subject I feel passionate about. Um, I do some medical leadership in town and, and sit on uh, hospital boards. And so I've seen several cases of fairly bad outcomes for home deliveries. And there have been some uh, deaths in town. Right I, here in Vegas. Yeah. I've thought about this for a long time. I have an interesting origin story in that I was born at Stanford, actually, grew up in uh, Sunnyvale. Wait, 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 origin story. So were you written, like bitten by a radioactive uh, <laughs> stroke patient? Now no, you get hemiplegic when you get angry? But, you know, my formative years were like the 70s in San Francisco Bay Area. So uh -huh. my mom was an uh, early childhood educator. She ran a laboratory preschool staffed by high school and community college students. Um, she was an early advocate of breastfeeding. Mm. We had an actual um, breast milk bank in our house what? So with donor milk. Um, so, 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 so just like a bunch of bags of milk? Yeah, people would donate. People didn't, you know, there was no HIV, hepatitis testing, any of that stuff. Of course, this was before HIV. And back then, if a kid, had, a baby had allergic colitis, it could be very dangerous. They didn't have these hydrolyzed formulas for them. And uh, so donor milk could be incredibly important. Interesting. So we would have donor milk uh, to give to, you know, one baby at a time that was in dire need of it. You know what? You know what? Not to interrupt, but I, well, actually, to interrupt, because that's what I do, because I have ADHD. Uh, I had a stool donor bank at my house. Um, <laughs> it was one of the earliest ones, and it was uh, also yeah. largely unintentional. Anyways, go on. So, and she, so she was an early breastfeeding advocate. She was part of something called the Nursing Mothers Council of Palo Alto, which actually predated La Leche League. And um, they didn't have like lactation consultant certification back then, or at least she didn't, but she was an early advocate because journey back circa 1970, the breastfeeding rate was like 20%. Uh -huh. And um, so that... As in that context, one of our greatest family friends was a woman named Lester Hazel, who circa 1969 wrote a salient book uh, pushing back against the medicalization of birth called Common Sense Childbirth. Wow. So it's weird for me to talk against home birth now when this great family friend who was lovely and bright and caring, you know, has this, you know, well-known book about it. Now, to be honest, let's travel back to 1969. It was a different experience, right? There was... Dads weren't involved in the um, delivery room at all. They would be outside smoking. Right, exactly. Right. And um, the postpartum women were put in like this giant ward with six beds sharing one postpartum bathroom and there was not breastfeeding, you know, advocacy or help. Um, so they didn't, uh, they didn't have epidurals. And even in the caring for the baby side, um, they didn't have, you know, routine ultrasound. The monitoring wasn't the same. Neonatology was in its infancy. The first fellowship for neonatology was like 1975. You know, they didn't really have baby ventilators. So not only could you diagnose and treat less, but the experience was horrible. So even though, you know, I feel guilty sort of going against Lester, um, you know, if we traveled back to 1969, I understand the pushback. And so if it wasn't maybe for her and that kind of discussion, maybe we wouldn't have a much better birth experience today, which is much better. It's not exactly like home, but they try to, in the hospital room, the dads all have fold out beds and they have 
lactation consultants, typically full-time, to help moms with nursing. So it's a different experience. And, and the way I look at it is, you know, if it wasn't for Lester, maybe the hospital experience wouldn't be better. That's a wonderful history because we actually lose sight of that, that it really yeah. was a miserable, clinical, it was. detached experience. And um, it reminds me of like, you know, the, the organic people, you know, um, circa 1969, you know, baby food had literally table sugar in it. And if it wasn't people pushing towards uh, organics, maybe we'd still have, um, you know, sugar and baby food. Now it's just, you know, on the, the labeling, food, yeah. carrots and water, that's all it is. Right. Now, of course, they go overboard and do things like frozen lemon juice for malignancy, which is obviously absurd. Um, but, you know, the way I look at it, because again, I, you know, when thinking about talking about this, this subject, I felt kind of guilty because I'm throwing Lester under the bus a little bit because of, I, I disagree with home birth mm. strongly, which is why I'm here. Mm. And there's this natural, in other arenas, um, similarly, it's like pregnancy is not a disease, don't treat it as a disease, are the natural birth community. Mm. Um, and, you know, the medicalization of uh, natural process, people have been delivering babies for millennia without hospitals, uh, why are we doing it? And so the, the, um, the difficulty is the one balance of the experience of the mom and the family being able to deliver at home in a more comfortable uh, environment versus what is the risk of delivering at home. Um, so although it's a normal, natural um, experience, when it goes off the rails and there's a problem, we need the baby out and now. And um, when I look at the whole um, situation, I feel it comes strongly down in the, it's safest to be delivered in the hospital. <laughs> you, you know, so, so okay, this is very, very helpful, I think, for a lot of people, a lot of mothers, a lot of parents, a lot of dads who are on the fence about this. Like, is this a good idea? I can tell you this, I'm with you on this. And the reason is, is that we see the complications of birth. So they talk about, like you said, medicalizing pregnancy, turning it into a disease is not a great idea. Yes, this is true. However, uh, if you are, you, you know, I mean, what, if you have a bad outcome uh, at home, that is a vastly different scenario than something like that happening in the hospital. And since we see that, you know, my wife and I, both times she delivered in the hospital, but both times we wanted to get the heck out of there as quickly as we could when we were done. Because of what you say, it's more comfortable at home. Home is really where you're, it, it's a cliche, home is where the heart is. It's where you feel the most connected and at home and you have a new baby. You don't wanna be in a weird clinical environment. At the same time, we're deeply grateful for the care that we got. And that, and I wanna put one coda on that, which is, we suck still in this country at maternal care compared to the rest of the developed world. And so we can do a lot better. We're not perfect. We need to be very humble and continue to improve our quality. But that doesn't mean you throw literally the baby out with the bathwater on this. Yeah, I agree. And there's a larger discussion of why our, our numbers are so poor for maternal mortality. Mm. Um, but, you know, I feel, again, as a pediatrician, there's not the direct conflict of interest. You know, I see babies, whether they were born at home, C-section, vaginal delivery. Um, and so my perspective is I want a healthy baby and a healthy mom. Your and, dog in the fight is healthy babies, not, right. your, you know, you get paid to deliver them by whatever right. means. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And um, one of the things that uh, the public doesn't realize is I'm a, I'm anti home birth. I'm not anti midwife. And explain that. So, um, so midwives in the U.S. 
we have uh, several classifications of them. In Europe, an international standards for midwifery would be the equivalent of a certified nurse midwife here. So that's bachelor's degree in, typically in science or bachelor of science of nursing. Plus, uh, so after RN, typically two years, like they're getting a master's in midwifery. They practice typically mostly at hospitals and birthing centers. They don't do that many home deliveries. Mm. Most home deliveries are done by something, uh, designation called certified professional midwives or CPNs. Mm. And they used to be known as sort of lay or direct entry midwives. And they actually, uh, they don't have in the same uh, sphere of training. So it's high school only, plus... Um, basically an apprenticeship with 60 deliveries total, 20-year observational. They do some didactics, and they should be NRP certified. So they're the ones doing a lot of these home births, and they're really they're out of their depth by a mile. And they, this is their life's passion. They, you know, um, when a delivery is at home and goes great, it's, you know, it's magical. Um, but there's really out of their depth. And I, I know that by criticizing their level of education, you know, I'm uh, throwing them under the bus and they're going to be defensive. And I just urge them to really look at these numbers and um, the process and just get trained, become a certified nurse midwife. That's great. Um, but they're really not, they don't have the training that I believe is really necessary to properly handle these babies. Yeah, there's a lot here. And I think, uh, and I'm learning this for the first time. Right. So you're teaching me about this. And, uh, so it sounds to me like there's a potential here for not knowing what you don't know, for not being mm -hmm. able to recognize problems at home that a more uh, trained midwife or an obstetrician would be able to recognize, and that leading to trouble. Now, the question is, if you're going to make a, a statement like that, the question is, is there data to show that these home births have worse outcomes? Uh, well, yeah, there is a mm. lot. So mm. the two things we worry about most, you know, death and that, that that's significantly higher and, and significantly higher is a debatable statistic. And I'll talk about that in a second. And then, uh, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, encephalopathy. So a, uh, hypoxic brain injury. And so, so the star, star for oxygen brain gets damaged. Yeah. yeah. And cerebral palsy. They can have permanent brain damage. Yeah. And um, so the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American College of OBGYN have a position statement on home delivery that they um, came out, I don't know, five years-ish ago. And basically, you know, we don't want to be too paternal. That one of the principal ethics is patient choice and things mm. um, in, in their care. But we want to be very clear what we think is uh, relatively safe delivery. It's not as safe as a home delivery. Um, I mean, a home delivery is not as safe as a hospital delivery, but if you're going to do home delivery, we want these characteristics. We want a singleton, i.e. not twins, normal presentation, not breach. You need to have people able to resuscitate the baby, and so you need one for baby, one for mom. And, um, How do you do that at home? Pardon? Well, they, the midwives will do that. They'll get NRP certification, but remember, they're, they're not nurses. So they can bag babies, so 90% of the time or more, if you have a baby that's not breathing, you can use bag valve mask on room air and, and get them moving and resuscitated. However, sometimes you're gonna need a volume expander or epinephrine, and they can't do that at home, they're not nurses. Mm. So they're not really able to resuscitate a baby in the way that, that we could in the hospital. Mm. So if you look at MITS to hospital with uh, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, there's a 44 times chance more that they were 
board at home versus a um, hospital. So the the, the wow. yeah, it's forty four yeah. times. And uh, the increase, uh, even under these, you know, low risk uh, criteria, the the uh, mortality rate is going to be about one in a thousand higher uh, for home versus hospital delivery. So let, let me let me see if I understand this statistically because this is an elephant rider thing. So my rider yeah. is trying to process this rationally, and my elephant is feeling emotion around it. So for every home delivery you do, an extra baby per 1,000 births will yep. die. So what's interesting, when the AAP ACOG came out with this, there was a flame war in the journals, and mm. someone's like, are you guys crazy? And the authors were like, well, with uh, it, yes, it's a higher, but it, we don't, it's not that high, and we want to let them choose. We'll just present the data. So for hospital delivery, there's a 99.95% survival rate. For home delivery, it's 99.85%. See, that's good, but mm. yeah, that's still one in a thousand. Yeah, yeah, so if you applied that to 4 million uh, delivery cohort every year in the US, that'd be 4,000 extra deaths, which is, by the way, two times total US childhood cancer deaths. So if you take all childhood cancer deaths, zero to 18, you know, leukemia, brain, lymphoma, neuroblastoma, Wilms, osteosarcoma, blah, blah, blah. Add those up, multiply it by two. That's how many deaths there would be um, if everyone was born at home under you, low risk. You know, let, let's really put a put a point on that. So you're saying 4,000 extra chilled babies are dying every year. Would die if would die. Would die if, if everyone was born at home. That one, everyone was born that's at home. A, that's, that's the one in a thousand Number, uh, statistic and mm -hmm. extrapolated, yeah. So I don't think it's worth it versus the experience of home birth. Right. And the home birth advocates will say, well, there's medical um, um, complications that happen. Right. Uh, Hospital's a dangerous place. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, excessive rate of C-sections right. and um, um, other, you know, infections, et cetera. But, um, you know, I'm here in the end to say I don't think the it's worth it uh, yeah. for any family. Yeah. Um, well, you know, what's interesting is that one of the, one of the problems we did a show on maternal mortality uh, earlier last year. And one of the problems is we were sending women home without good follow-up, without, uh, you know, close uh, checking. And, and so as a result, you know, it's, it's the home that was really a part of the problem. And also we don't have good protocols to actually keep an eye on mom. We tend to focus on baby and a lot, a lot a million different reasons, but that does, again, it, there are dangers in the hospital, but it sounds like the dangers at home, especially if you're in the hands of a practitioner who maybe is, doesn't have the higher level of training as a nurse midwife or an obstetrician, uh, is more dangerous. Yeah, and they do, um, they do home midwife deliveries in Europe, um, but they're with the higher level uh, trained. Some, some countries up to 20% are delivered at home. Now, again, my point is you're going to, at best, the world, WHO says like a 10% uh, C-section rate is appropriate. I mean, if you're doing less than 10%, you're going to have deaths or, or um, you know, morbidity, uh, encephalopathy. Um, so at, that's at best. And so transfer rate ends up being, you know, 10 to 20%. Their survival data is pretty close to the hospital um, mm -hmm. in Europe. They have seamless systems. You have to make sure you're not too far away from medical care and are able to transport the baby. You know, I see that and I should listen to that. But I just, you know, if I just look at one, again, looking at extrapolating data, if you look at one complication that can happen, which is cord prolapse. So if the umbilical cord 
you basically loops out and pops out between like the baby's shoulder and the mom's symphysis pubis. And they, you know, it's a, it's just basically the blood vessels are compressed. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that happens, the time, the time clock starts to, uh, hypoxia and ultimately death, right? You need the baby out in minutes to half hour. And that's going to happen. Not commonly 0.2%, something like that. But again, if 0.2% of 4 million U S deliveries, uh, that occurs out of hospital mortality in that situation is something like 40%. So if, again, you looked at large statistics, that would be, again, like 3,000 deaths, like 1.5 times total U.S. childhood cancer deaths if you, just for that complication of cord prolapse. Cord prolapse in the hospital is a scary thing. They often put mom in a different position or someone has to you know, glove and, and basically reach in and push the baby's head up to try to take the pressure off, and then they wheel them to the OR and do a stat... Uh, emergency section. Right, right. A, a great indication for C-section in right. that case. Right. So, you know, this has an emotional heft to it because I remember when I started doing Z-Dog MD stuff, one of the first groups of fans that started following us were a group of uh, mothers, all of whom had had, they, they had been really the sort of crunchy granola types and mm -hmm. the natural types, and they had uh, had uh, home birth or attempted home birth and had had bad outcomes. Right. And their mission was to raise awareness about how under-regulated and under-trained some of the home delivery, right. uh, you were talking about the lower the level. CPMs, training. yeah. Yeah, uh, and how they would tell the stories and there was a picture of the mother postpartum holding a dead baby. Uh. And I remember, I remember actually crying, so reading this message. It was the first time I opened a Facebook message and I started crying and I thought, you know what? What am I? What, what am? what am I missing in this? Because it seems natural. I'm actually an anti-interventionalist. Like I, 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 I often say on the show that we do things to people instead of for them in medicine, and that we are part of the problem, and we need to get better. However, however, I'm also a rationalist and believe in evidence. And when I see this and I hear the evidence, it 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 has both an emotional motivation and a rational motivation. But what you said about Europe we might be able to get there eventually. So it doesn't mean we throw it out. Right. But so one of the things that's come to foreign OB world in the last 10 years is uh, a laborist. So mm. a physician that's just doing the night shift to help deliver babies that need to in the middle of the night. And the downside is it's not your regular OB that you knew for nine months. Uh, the upside is it's someone that's there ready on the spot. And so all the hospitals, one of the metrics that they, are, they follow is unattended deliveries. So the baby come in and deliver without uh, an OBGYN or midwife, and the numbers have gone to essentially zero. Mm. So what we need to do is make the hospitals more and more and more comfortable, yeah, comfortable. And it feels like home as best as possible. And you have certified nurse midwives doing a ton of deliveries and there's a hospitals there because if we need that baby out, they're there to do the surgery and get the baby out. I'm Obviously I'm biased. I'm a big fan of hospitalists in general because I feel like the hospital's gotten so complex. It's very hard to be a primary mm -hmm. care doc and a hospitalist and nail both of those things. However, there is that continuity issue. So it means that that hospitalist has to be in close cahoots with your primary ideally. Right. Uh, but I, I think that's doable and I'm with you on that. And I'm a big fan of trying to improve both quality and comfort in the hospital. When we gave birth, I remember because we were quote unquote VIPs, something bad was gonna happen, right? right? You know, doctors, doctor, two doctors, me and my wife, both work at Stanford, both delivering at Stanford, everything's gonna go wrong. Luckily, we went in with this attitude of we're gonna, we're gonna stay under the radar, we, you know, we're not gonna request anything. And, 
And it worked great because people were in their routines. And what I found was it was comfortable, but not as comfortable as home. Right. I was both me and my wife were dying to get home. We went home a little early right. and that may have not been the best idea because the kid wasn't breastfeeding quite right. Mm -hmm. And we realized, well, when we, when we ended up having to give formula, she was like, just drank the whole bottle. And mm -hmm. then my wife was just racked with guilt yeah. for not being able to feed and, and was sort of uh, lactation shamed and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it might be time to talk about that we're two men talking about the birth <laughs> we're process. We're mansplaining, right? Birth, yeah. Well, you know, we are compassionate and empathetic, and we both have an N of two of kids and have been through that, and we can't know what it's like to grow a human being inside. So this birth experience thing is a big thing out there. Um, and my point is that, yes, I can't experience it, but you know, I, I'm more comfortable around talking about this because I've been a pediatrician now for 25 years. So I've been to a thousand deliveries, many more thousand the first 24 hours of life. And I've seen the arc. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Of kids' lives. And I, you know, I want everyone's birth experience to be great, but it's one day out of the next 20,000, you're going to be the parent. And I just want a healthy baby, right? And um, uh, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when uh, we took my daughter to kindergarten the first day and Mrs. Parks had, I was sitting down with all the kids on the, on the ground in front of her. And then the parents were standing in the back and she was reading um, The Kissing Hand. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's reading the kissing hand about the first day experience of the raccoon family. And um, it's pronounced raccoon, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all the parents were trying to prevent themselves going from a mild cry to an open weep. Yeah. When you looked at them, you couldn't tell which ones was born at home versus C-section versus vaginal versus adopted. They all love their kids, yeah. right? So the idea that you have to have this perfect birth experience or the long-term relationship isn't going to be right it's just, in my view, not true at all. Yeah. And um, I think there's a lot of women that have that, you know, the famous mommy wars things that they have to do it the right way. They have to do it naturally or this way. And, or if they don't breastfeed, they're worried, you know, that uh, they're a terrible mom. And I see a lot of that. And uh, it can trigger postpartum depression. Um, you know, I, I think about that birth experience. I was just thinking I had like an epiphany that it's a little bit like uh, Pear syndrome. Have you heard of Pear syndrome? I haven't. Teach me. So it's not a DSM-5 diagnosis, but circa the 1980s, there were some psychologists that described uh, these people that, that um, were, tra were traveling to Paris. They were a high amount of Japanese tourists, and they <clears throat> had such great expectations. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to Paris. And when they got there, there was this disappointment and for some of them, it triggered like psychiatric symptoms, delusions, et cetera. Wow. And so, um, I mean, postpartum 
psychosis is well known and certainly depression, but there's this whole, um, this whole vibe that you have to have this perfect delivery. You know, if I don't deliver this perfect way, or if I don't breastfeed, you know, plan on community college, not Harvard. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I support breastfeeding of course, but for women that can't or don't or don't want to, there's no reason to give them a big guilt trip, you know, especially in term babies, the preterm, the 32 weekers needed like a Dr. Daddy milk bank. <laughs> but, um, but you know, by the way, that doesn't sound creepy at all. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so creepy. <laughs> Can we cut this part of that? <laughs> no, that's staying in. Uh, well, so, so, so actually what you're bringing up now is interesting. Cause I get a lot of messages from moms who are sitting on these Facebook groups right? and they are obsessing and you know, other mothers are shaming them and then they go to the hospital and then maybe there's an aggressive lactation consultant who's, who doesn't, maybe the bedside manner is a little different mm -hmm. and they're not really acknowledging the sense of insecurity and, and really, are, you know, if you don't breastfeed, you're a bad mother and this kind of thing. And, you know, to some degree, I think my wife experienced a little of that, oh, yeah. you know, to some degree, I think, uh, I think Tom might've gone through some of it. Tom directly, cause he's a, he produces man milk, which is uh, <laughs> very high in no nutrients. It's high in pork rinds. Uh, and, and, um, and, and so this idea that, what you just said, I think, is so important. I almost want to clip that out and put it out at its own clip because there's so much shame. And when you and you say it's not without consequence, you can trigger right. worse. Absolutely. Things. What you, was it? Paris syndrome. Paris syndrome. Yeah, for the city of Paris. Yeah. Wow. It's just the expectation. By the way, it's pronounced Paris, just in case. Uh, you know, the two <laughs> communists in the back there uh, like to pronounce it correctly. They would actually kill me if I said Paris because they would think I would. I like the French. Um, so, but one thing you were telling me before we even started this, why this matters are death statistics. People don't understand statistics. Right. The causes of death for children are actually rather surprising. Right, it's interesting. It, again, it it's, enters the space that you guys have talked about, which is that for a lot of people, and they truthfully tend to be high SES uh, types that are pushing- What's SES? Sorry, I'm dumb. Oh, social economic status, oh, yeah. Oh, I've never abbreviated it like yeah. that. Yeah, so SES. they- um, Logan is low SES, just so you know. <laughs> So they are, um, you know, pushing back against medicine, that food is medicine and that, um, that medical intervention is, you know, unnecessary and uh, overdone. And so um, that gets to the, I'll just have, a, you know, a healthy kid and not worry about vaccinating because my kids are healthy. Right. And that uh, they're, you know, they're immune to infection. And uh, as you've talked a lot, that's just not the truth. And what happens, of course, in the 1950s when the polio vaccine came out and everyone went to school with the kids with polio, the line to get the vaccine was like, you know, you know, huge. Mm -hmm. uh, so everyone got in line because they were, you know, around kids with polio. Now that we've been successful with the vaccines, there's not as many people that have a neighbor um, that's sick. I mean, I talked about that when I did the anti-vaccine piece yeah. that that uh, you know we've eliminated bacterial meningitis in the under five crowd, and mm -hmm. you just don't see kids with hearing aids anymore mm -hmm. uh, very often because you know one of the top three causes is eliminated. Uh, Ten percent of kids that got meningitis um, it destroyed their eighth cranial nerve, and they you know were left uh, hearing impaired. So you just in middle schools and in elementary schools and high schools you don't see kids with hearing aids anymore. You uh, know, and, and when we had Paul Offit on the show, he was talking about even just varicella chickenpox. Yeah, yeah, ten thousand admissions a year for yep. chickenpox-related yep. complications. Yep. 
And now, you know, we're dropping that with the vaccine. You know, my yeah, I mean, the benefit of officially being old is I've seen... Is there know, an official see, cutoff? Yeah. <laughs> As, uh, I've seen kids die of bacterial meningitis. Mm. I've seen a bunch of chicken pox. In the early 90s, there was a measles outbreak in... Um, in uh, LA, and so I've seen like You're nine or ten, grad, yeah, yeah, seen nine or ten case of measles. Mm. Um, Did you ever see a uh, coplic spots? No, they didn't have coplic spots. The ones oh. I saw, yeah, but I saw one of a pregnant mom who almost died. She was in ICU, and wow. Um, but Measle, anyway, these measles kills one hundred ten thousand yeah. kids a year, people a year, still yeah, worldwide, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I don't know if we're going to show the graphic or not, but we one of them, uh, uh, there, there it is. All right. In yeah. 2015, I came across an article in the in the pediatrics journal. It was about morbidity and mortality of trauma um, worldwide, and so they had World Health Organization data. This is circa 2008 on causes of death of uh, children on this is planet Earth. So it's going to be 20% developed world. Yeah. So number one is perinatal causes. So that's birth. basically home birth. So that's uh, pre prematurity, asphyxia, and uh, sepsis. Mm -hmm. Number two, diarrheal diseases. Mm -hmm. um, pull pull keep, it back, Logan. Yeah, I need to look at it. Yeah. Uh, and diarrheal diseases. So, you know, that includes rotavirus. Yeah. I don't know. Moffitt didn't talk about that. There's 100,000 kids a year die in India of rotavirus to this day. 100,000. Yeah, they don't, 100,000. They don't give the vaccine because it's too expensive, <laughs> evidently. Um, I, it might be that, I forget whether it needs, it needs to be refrigerator whether there's some there's logistical some issue. Reason, yeah but yeah. so you know by comparison again for morbidity uh, if you look at total childhood cancer deaths in the u.s all cancers in children about two thousand a year so mm -hmm. that's 50 times the number of childhood cancer deaths in the u.s those kids die of just rotavirus before right. the vaccine i would put like three four kids a year in the hospital with it now wow. we don't see it anymore but, but you know you know this is the best part the anti-vaccine industrial complex with the professional anti-vaxxers who I don't give a pass to because they're delusional and they're dangerous to children. I, I give a pass to parents who are struggling with the issue and mm -hmm. are legitimately concerned and emotionally right. reacting. I don't give a pass to these people because they will attack someone like Paul Offit right. for making a vaccine that saves untold lives and they will they'll besmirch his reputation and this and that. And that's why he can take it. He's a tough guy. He was on the show, people were banging on the wall, right? right? Um, and prepare for that, Blair, because uh, right. you know it's fun. It's a badge of honor when that starts happening. <sighs> but we, we just can't tolerate it anymore. You know? Right, I mean, I wanted, I, I feel like, you know, um, I can talk about this again, because I'm a pediatrician. And if an OB does, they have a conflict of interest. Right. I really felt important. Right. And the other, uh, other causes of death, so low respiratory tract infection, that's pneumonia, mm. prevented by Hib and Prevnar vaccine. Mm. Uh, malaria in certain malaria areas. Um, what's the next one? Congenital uh, anomalies. Yeah, so obviously yeah. that's birth defects, but even prenatally now, there's sometimes prenatal surgery, or if, uh, if a kid has diaphragmatic hernia and they're born in the hospital, you can have immediate intervention and decrease mortality of that. So even that is helpful to be born in the hospital. Mm. Um, then what's next? That's yeah, pretty much all the vaccines. Pertussis. Pertussis, HIV AIDS, which is interesting. Yeah, that's test moms, yeah. treat, her, treat them, give babies ACT, ACT when they're born. So that's preventable. Then you have uh, meningitis, which is preventable. Yeah, so it's like six of those and top tens are vaccine preventable infections. Go, go to the next slide, Logan. 
Uh, Child this, mortality age 15 to 19. So this is teenagers. So number one, like the, and two are similar to the U.S., is uh, motor vehicle accidents and suicide. Some communities, it's homicide for right. number two. Right. Um, and the, but number 11 cause of death of adolescents on planet Earth is maternal hemorrhage. So adolescents giving birth and yeah, and obviously only half can die of maternal hemorrhage. Right. Right. I mean, right. so that's incredible. I mean. If you want to go back to the olden days, one one uh, percent of women used to die in childbirth, right? This is what I love. You know, uh, we need to be natural. We need to, you know, live right. like our ancestors did. Well, then you're going to have a short, brutish, uh, and painful life and a pretty quick death, because that's how most of our ancestors lived. Yes, my daughter, my eighth grader, was doing a um, project or a paper on uh, Mozart, and like if you look at his family history, like he was. He and a sibling are two of eight that uh, survived. And then he had like five kids and two of them survived. Right. And these are mainly, um, you know, perinatal stuff and then vaccine preventable infections. So, I mean, on earth, there's still like a dozen countries where 1% of women die in childbirth. Yeah. And then what was it? The other graphic that's interesting, whether you- Abortion. Yeah, whether yeah. you're pro or against or whatever, it's number 14 cause of death. Is like un, what, like un, um, yeah, unsupervised the, I mean, Right, they yeah. have someone, you know, Code they're him. in the developed world and they're worried their dad's gonna literally kill them if they have an abortion or are pregnant. And uh, so they get someone else to do it who's non-medical or they throw themselves downstairs or oh, something wow. terrible like that. Yeah. 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 And so um, anyway. This is a real, uh, this episode is a real feel good hit of the summer, Blair. Well, the <laughs> well, the the um, the the feel good part of it is neonatology is incredible. Like yeah. I, in my career, I've seen these micropremies uh, have so much less morbidity. Mm. So in 1960, if you're a one kilogram uh, baby at a 90% mortality rate, in 2000 you had a 90% survival. Mm. Right. That's amazing. It is. Yeah. It is. And and again, it's a medical advances, and we should celebrate. Absolutely. Them. Yeah. One thing, you know, again, if you look at uh, midwife data in Europe, their numbers. I mentioned their numbers are fairly close to um, um, hospital babies, so they do home delivery relatively successfully. Right. So I think that's important to look at, and I mentioned why you know it still makes me a little uncomfortable. Mm. Um, in the U.S., nurse midwife's mortality rate is actually less than OBGYN, but that's mm. because of selection bias, right? They oh, are so not doing your moms. right. They well, they're not doing the high risk. They're right. not doing C-sections, right? right? And so right. you'll right. see, like in the literature, people comparing things all the time, like, oh, their numbers are better, so we should have them do it. Well, they're not delivering a 500 gram 24 week premium that has 50 mLs of blood in their whole body. Right. right. And this isn't a slide against midwives. It's saying, this where, that's how you explain that statistic. Right, right. Because otherwise people say like, well, you know, the mortality rate in, uh, in the operative theater or hospitals is much better than surgical centers. So we should like do our valve replacements in surgery centers because they have less deaths, yes, right? They, they select for the better, right, right. safer patient. Here, here's, a, here's a question, The Business of Being Born by Ricky Lake. I haven't seen it personally. What are your thoughts on documentary about the OB industrial complex? Right, I mean, it, it's frankly annoying to me. <laughs> no, there, if you want to argue that, again, the benefits of the experience and that uh, versus like, are we over medicalizing? What's the C-section rate? You know, but but the whole business that the um, premise that it's just greedy doctors and hospitals just ticks me off, right? Because yeah. the truth is um, an OB gets about as much for their global fee for care as a midwife. Mm. Uh, mm. And so like my son, my baby boy, who's now 18, 
was $2,500 for the global fee when he was born. So that's nine months of care, plus a delivery, plus rounding in the hospital, you know, one or two days normal delivery, two to four days C-section, plus a six-week follow-up. Uh, typically, they don't get paid more for C-section, so that's a fallacy. Like, oh, they mm -hmm. just want to do C-sections because they make more. They'd rather not because they have fewer days to round. There's no post-op follow-up. Right. So you can call them medically wrong, but to call them greedy is just, it's uh, just wrong. Yeah, just absolutely. Yeah. They, they're following their passion. And by the way, you know, let's compare the certified professional midwives with their high school plus 60 deliveries versus OBGYN, as you know, is like 12 years after high school to be a board certified, you know, OBGYN. The medical years should count as like dog years because they're working 80, 100 hours a week anyway. Right, right, and so right. the amount of training is not even comparable. And a nurse midwife is on that spectrum closer to the OB. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, because I got a lot of people sent me messages about that documentary. They were either pro yeah. or con. And so, to me, here's a thought, and it's a little provocative. Isn't it the height of narcissism to want to value the experience of birth over the safety of the child and the mother? Yeah, I believe that's true. And the, 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 um, Extension of that is this phenomenon called free birth. Do you know yeah, about that? Yeah, tell me about this. So I've free birth this. is, you know. Hey, is that free birth? Turn it up, man. <laughs> Lord, I was born a rambling man. Anyways, I remember those old, remember those old KTEL records? Yeah. Yeah, yeah greatest hits of the 60s, man. Free bird. Yeah, I think there's a Z-Dog parody, parody about free birth, right? There will be. <laughs> so, um, yeah, free birth is, you know, don't don't put uh, delivery is not a medical condition. Pregnancy is not a medical condition. Uh, it's really sacred, and it's bring you know our it's the most important day of our life. Bring a new family member in, and we want to do it uh, by ourselves. So they are born with just uh, the mom and the partner, mm. uh, without any medical intervention. No no midwife there, mm. and. Um, with oh. the advent of the uh, internet, there's been, they have, a, of course, a um, support group for them. And, you know, they'll oh. be like, trust the process, you know, um, they'll be egging them on, even when they'll sometimes live blog that, you know, it's been five days, rupture of membrane, no. um, there's meconium uh, staining. So meconium is the you know, nine months of buildup, that's baby poop. It's really just slough cells. It's that early stuff that looks like tar. So if there's meconium, what that means is they've been hypoxic enough to lose anal sphincter tone, Ooh. right? It's Again, like Logan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to throw him under the bus because he can't really respond. He's not mic'd. There's no camera on him. Yeah, so... Yeah. It's super sad. That's the the pin. That's the, the pinnacle of about the experience. And yeah. um, it... I just want a healthy mom and a healthy baby. <laughs> words, words of advice for people who are considering home birth or who are getting ready to deliver. They're trying to come up with a birth plan. I mean, what, what would you tell them? I'm not in favor of it, but you really need to look at the risk. I'd prefer you to deliver in a birth center with a certified nurse midwife or a hospital with a uh, midwife. I think the future is let's just kind of really work on making hospitals more comfortable, bugging moms less, like really coordinating. If someone's gonna go change out the trash, let's do it in one visit. Um, you know, my wife is very uh, personal space kind of girl, not like anyone like looks forward to, you know, cervical exams, but mm. you know, in the hospital, they're like my, you know, work brothers and sisters and stuff. And they're very, they're dedicated and kind, but they do it every day and they may not realize some, some moms are just more sensitive. Mm. Um, and so, you know, during the 
during her pregnancy, they would, you know, come in episodically and check her cervix and they would say they're doing it, but like, she wants to know why and how, and, you know, so minimizing, you know, interventions and, you know, it's, it's a process and there's been lots of improvements, both in the neonatal side and also in the OB side. So like they don't do routine episiotomies. They found that that's not that helpful to prevent, you know, grade four tears. Mm. Um, I remember when um, they started doing delayed cord clamping. And uh, so now they wait till the pulse before they clamp the cord mm -hmm. and they wait till it starts, stops pulsating. And as a pediatrician, I was kind of worried because it's a lot easier to deal with a anemic baby than a uh, polycythemic baby. Yeah. yeah, after a crit of 65, you go from linear to nonlinear viscosity. And so you can have like stroke-like syndromes and you can have hypoglycemia and worse and worse um, jaundice, but it turned out to be better. That's the whole point. Yeah, we, you know, stuff yeah. we did, you know, when, when anti-medical establishment talks about DES or... Diethyl still best. Yeah, or, you know, some of the things that went off the rails. Yeah, we, we learned and we moved on. Science is a process, not an ideology. And that our right. goal is to get better and better. And, um, you know, making the birth process, you know, having maybe a hospital floor that is just totally different than the others and really makes it as comfortable as possible. Um, right now it's, I'm used to the hospital. So to me, it was not a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife had one vaginal, one C-section. Uh, our son was uh, early and came out, he had a cord um, uh, around his neck, which is common that they can kind of pull it off, but he got a little asphyxiated, low apgars, needed resuscitation, was in the NICU the first mm. week. So bonding was not uh, possible. They couldn't do skin to skin and nursing was hard. But, you know, if someone suggested to my wife that she loves our baby boy any less than anyone else who had the home delivery and had the, you know, had the skin to skin, there's going to be a mom fight, right? I mean, <laughs> so. Um, mom fights was a uh, reality show on. Uh on TLC for a while. Yeah, so I, I don't want to um, totally blow off the experience, but again, if the kid has brain damage due to hypoxia, um, unnecessary, that's, that's a tragedy. That's the bottom line. One thing I'm going to say uh, in parting here is that uh, these groups online, they're wonderful and they can be supportive, but at the same time, they can create stress, anxiety, shame, guilt, yep. depression. And I'm going to make a really stupid mansplaining analogy here uh, <laughs> on our way out, and it's this: when I, in 2003 or four, when I first became an attending, I finally had an income that qualified me to buy a car that didn't suck. So what did I do? I bought an Acura TL, the 2004 Acura TL, which was like 30 grand, and it was like the entry level luxury car. And I was obsessed with this car. Why? Because I Googled the car. And there were these support groups online of mostly dudes going, bro, 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 did you get the 18-inch the rims, bro? Because, oh, did you hear that sound that the engine sometimes makes? You should take it back to the dealer because if it makes this, any time makes a click noise once, they sold you a lemon. And I started getting this paranoid anxiety about this car and I'd go to the dealer and I'd be like, you know, the leather has a tiny little imperfection right here. And I, I read online, someone else said, that's a problem in your Ohio manufacturing plant. And I became insane about a thing that gets me from point A to point B. And I started obsessing about this thing until I finally let it go. I forget what happened, I got a ding. <laughs> My first ding, I'm like, I'm out. I no longer care. For some reason, it doesn't surprise me that you have a little OCD. 
A little, oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, oh man, I would, I would, I, I would whack because you know you're not supposed to trust anyone washing your car, <laughs> just like you don't trust an OB to do check your cervix. You don't, you know, you do it at home. You don't trust someone else to wash your car because they might put a scratch on it, and they're going to want to intervene. Then they're going to want to use the buffer, and that's going to cause more harm. And the parallels are astounding. Blair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, so, so is most of the audience at this point. Um, any parting words? Because I think we did about uh, 45 minutes, oh, which well. is perfect. Well, again, you know, I'm really throwing um, negativity on these women that are doing the, the certified professional midwives. And, you know, it's hard because I know their heart is in the right place. They think they're doing the right thing. But it's just, it's not enough. They're beyond their depth. And I just, I urge them if they want to, if that's their passion, to get the training so that they can train to the level that, that is safer for babies and families. Guys, uh, I want you to do me a favor, uh, leave comments, uh, leave suggestions, uh, share this with people who are trying to learn about this. You can get the CME once we get it approved. I'll leave a link for supporters on Patreon and on Facebook to do that. Dr. Duddy, I have learned a lot today from this because this is something that, again, has been on my radar for a long time, but I haven't directly spent a lot of time researching because we had our births in the hospital. Hearing it from you, someone who's been in the in the business for 25 years, not as an obstetrician, but as someone who cares about babies, someone who I personally trust, and someone who takes care of my friends and their babies, and I would trust with my child's life, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I hope you come on oh, again. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. We out. So what I didn't tell you about...